0: HRL Studios in Norwalk, Connecticut. This is Behind the Bots, the podcast that brings you the stories of the builders behind the bots. I'm Chris. I'm Luke.
1: I'm Lindsay.
2: And I'm Kyle.
0: And today on the podcast, our interview with Valkyrie Captain Lucy Dew.
1: We'll wrap up the show with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. If you like our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, CastBox, Player FM, and Podbean. You can follow us on Facebook at Behind the Bots and tell a friend. We really appreciate your support.
3: Time for this week's combat robotics news. I have three news items for you today. First up, catch live robot combat this weekend in California, Washington State, Connecticut, and Australia. In Australia, they'll be fighting ant weights in a two day tournament this weekend in Wollongong. In California, Bellarmine College Prep, an elite private high school in Silicon Valley, is holding a beetleweight tournament in uh, San Jose on Sunday. In Washington State, the Robot Combat League will be holding a massive two-day championship in Seattle, where they'll be fighting the nation's top-ranked fairyweights, antweights, beetleweights, 12-pounders, and 30-pound sportsman bots at a venue near the base of the Space Needle. However, finally, the largest competition this weekend is undoubtedly the May qualifier at NHRL, with more than 200 robots fighting across eight arenas in Norwalk, Connecticut. This is our third of six qualifying events this year. The live stream will start around 9 a.m. Saturday with simultaneous fights running all day long. Join Chris, Lindsay, Kyle, and myself on the live stream. If you happen to find yourself in the Northeast this weekend, make a plan to get to Connecticut and say hi.
0: Also, check us out on Friday night during our, I I don't Friday night Havoc. (laughs) Yeah.
3: Yeah, it's a brand new show. We're going to be live streaming it. Uh, We're going to preview all of the action for Saturday. It's going to be great. On over to BattleBots, uh, where BattleBots is rolling out a new limited edition uh, companion show on the Discovery Channel starting this week. The new show will air immediately after each episode of the Championship. And will be called, quote, The Road to the Giant Nut. BattleBots writes, This extended coverage will dive deeper into the fights, the teams, and bots, complete with team interviews, secret strategies, and gruesome botopsies. And finally, on over to a delightfully quirky story from BattleBots, which invited people to go to battlebots.com this week to fill out their bracket predictions for World Championship 7, which kicks off this Thursday. Fans who were unusually fast to the page discovered that BattleBots had posted a dummy bracket filled with what appeared to be non sequitur stand ins for real robots. However, there was a little Easter egg for diehard fans of the most obscure BattleBots lore, with the words chicken versus apple and sausage versus beach appearing in the top left quadrant. This was a reference to a March 2021 social media post where BattleBots co-founder Greg Munson accidentally posted a photo of the Keyhole Arch in Big Sur, California with the cryptic message, Chicken Apple Sausage, on the official BattleBots Facebook page. And that's it for this week's news. All right, uh, let's take a look back at episode 15 of BattleBots, which aired this past Thursday. We saw the final seven qualifying fights of the season and the bracket reveal for the top 32, which uh, kicks off Thursday. Four robots finish the qualifying rounds with a perfect record. Huge, Minotaur, Quantum, and Riptide. At the other end of the spectrum, four robots managed to claw their way into the championship bracket with a 1-3 record, Fusion, Ribot, Shatter, and Tantrum. In the process, eliminating from contention 2-2 two and two bots, Mammoth, Shredderbro, Triton, and Valkyrie. I want to pause here. Kyle, I would love to start with you. Your thoughts on episode 15 and the bracket reveal.
2: Um, I thought that this episode was OK. Um, there were some definitely some amazingly good fights in it. That Lucky fight where we got to see the bottom of Lucky just completely ripped out was awesome. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed the, the uh, bracket reveal. I thought that it was going to be controversial, and I was not disappointed. Ah, uh, people have a lot of feelings about it, and you know they have a lot of feelings every year. Um, I do feel like this year, more than others, those feelings are somewhat unwarranted. Uh, the The decisions are pretty clear; like the it's more obvious this year as to like why some of the decisions were made and some of them were not. Um, but generally speaking, I enjoyed the episode. I thought it had some really good standout fights. Uh, it wasn't the best episode of the season. Maybe not the strongest way to end the regular season, but obviously they don't get to kind of choose that. Um, so yeah, that that's my overall overall impression.
3: For uh, fans who like to put on their tinfoil hats, I mean, whenever there's the bracket reveal for the top 32, there is this uh, argument online about like, oh, of course, you know, these four robots that have one in three records, they're just the favorites, you know? And Battlebots is going to be kicking out uh, poor poor bots like Triton and Shredderbro, Bro, um, and just like kind of kind of not giving them a fair shake. It's always so interesting, kind of who takes that thirty-two spot, that thirty-one spot, that thirty spot. And you know, from everything that I understand and, and from what I've heard, you know, the selection committee looks at a lot of factors when they choose who's that number thirty-two seed. One of them is, do you have enough spares to make it through all the way to the end? or are you going to be dropping out at the top 16 because you've wrecked your first frame, your second frame is like totally bent and you're you're limping along. There there's that, you know, popularity of course is is a factor, not a huge factor, but really they're they're looking for the strongest possible robots and the most entertaining fights. They want there to be the possibility that the 32 seed can uh defeat the number 1 seed, you know, like they they want that 32 seed to be in uh the best form possible. So you always have these kind of weird weird um, you know, uh selections by the selection committee uh right there at the bottom of the
0: bracket.
2: Yep. It's going to happen every time.
0: What I would love to know is <clears throat> there's a lot of factors that the selection committee has to consider, but like what is the ratio of um just the straight up, like the breakdown of, okay, this is, you know, how challenging your, uh, your, your bracket was to get up to this point. Um, and how does that compare to the story around your bot, your team, potential rivalries and some of the, you know, more sensational elements that we can sell for the, for the post here? Uh, cause like, is there, uh, is there a formula to this? Or, you know, is there more emphasis on one than the other? Because uh obviously you could look at this all day and you know there's a rationale to kind of point to both directions, but it seems like the community is kind of split on that. And uh, you know, any insight is great. NHRL, like, it is straight up the numbers. Like, yeah, Gil just is like this um uh, you know, he's like a Zoltar machine of <laughs> facts and data, and that's where a lot of the, you know, um, the the brackets are born out of, but obviously this is a television show. Um, You know, how does that, how does that compute? All right. So I, I,
3: I know something and I'm going to speculate on something. So um, when, so the new thing this season was that every team got their four qualifying fights on day one. So you were able to, plot like okay first i'm going to um face like for example horizon first we're going to face um uh, sorry shortaber we're going to face horizon then we're going to face ominous you know um and like we we were able to to like kind of track that out and when i walked around the pits the builders i talked to said it's very clear that of these four i have one of the four that i should win like i i'm favored to win just uh, rock, paper, scissors. And I have one that I'm favored to lose because, you know, I'm, I'm meet, meeting my perfect counter. And then we have two where we're, we're pretty evenly matched. Like the uh, the selection committee really feels like this is kind of the the level that we're at. You know, you, you look at, say, Shreddit Bros schedule. Our schedule is not as difficult as other people's schedules. Um, and you take a look at, you know, Tantrum schedule. Tantrum had an incredibly difficult schedule um so like there there is some of that matchmaking that's happening right at the start of the season they 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 will put you into a tier basically kind of a hidden tier um and there there are robots that have weak schedules that just came out roaring out of the gate and just dominated all four of their fights and um for them they they get bumped up into these kind of middle middle spots. Um, and others where it's like, you know, Tantrum had, you know, a pretty lousy qualifying season. Um, but they're tantrum, so they need to make it into the top 32. I think that we you you will see like once we do um Kyle's predictions here, there are a lot of rematches from previous seasons. They love a rematch. Um and so, yes, like <laughs> Is the number 15 seed, is that really the true number 15 seed? It could probably be plus or minus three spots, probably. And they're they're really trying to choose these um these matchups based on rematches or kind of like how how you can kind of move through through the bracket, you know? Um so yeah, I don't know. It's like the kind of dark art of the selection committee, the uh the blessing and the curse of uh the way the battle bots is set up.
2: Yeah, I have to agree with you. I mean, it's not it's not an exact science by any means and they don't always i mean you can't get it right you literally cannot get choosing for the bracket right um all you could do is make it understandable right like okay it's understandable why these bots are in and those bots were not um we're interviewing valkyrie today there's a very good argument to be made that valkyrie should be in the bracket um but i understand why they're not especially considering um You know the the bots they really wanted to get in for story factor and also like their fights were less entertaining this time around um and i think a lot of that's just because they were more cautious with their driving they weren't you know being that most destructive bot that you see all of the time they were being strategic which is good that's an important thing that you want to do but when you're also trying to book the show for entertainment value it's not going to rule in your favor for the selection for the round of 32.
3: You know, it's 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 so funny that like I mean, storytelling is so incredibly important too. You know, like yep. y- you look at Fusion's storytelling this season. Like, um, we've we've had so many memeable moments in, um, you know, Reese's post-fight interviews, just where he looks dead-eyed into the camera and just he he looks like he's returning a library book. You know what I mean? Um, and they love that, so they want more of that. They want more fires. You know, like. It's it is the risk that's inherent in battle bots, where you're like, "Hey, I'm an amazing engineer. I'm not a great actor, <laughs> you know," um, and I don't really know what to say to be uh, to be memorable in my post fight interviews or to kind of create that story around me. But it is a crucial skill set. Like you need to, mm-hmm. it, unless you have an incredible bot, you'd be, be, better be an incredible interview, you know, um, or else your your chance of taking that number 32 spot is, is in jeopardy. Yeah.
1: Uh, Speaking of incredible bot and incredible driver, Copperhead. Have you seen like quadrant two?
2: Yeah. It's scary.
1: (laughs) It's like they stuck everybody into quadrant two, everybody who could be a contender for the nut. And they're like, all right, now you duke it out over here.
2: Yeah. It's literally like the death bracket.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um. I guess like, so I haven't been, I unfollowed the BattleBots group. I'm still a member of it. Well done. (laughs) Life has been a lot better ever since they don't pop up on my feed. And I'll still click into it from time to time to see what the buzz is. But like, what are some of the major gripes? Because I have stared clear since last Thursday because I just don't want to deal with it. Oh, and I can see Luke's face right now. And he is just shaking his head wild eyed.
3: (laughs) I, it's like, I don't know. I don't know what happened. I don't know if BattleBots got more popular or the fandom has shifted or what, but like, I've just seen so many idiotic takes on the BattleBots group just in general. Like, um, like there are people who are like wrapping up their personal identities in uh, the robots to a point where like they are it's it's almost like they're they're introducing identity politics into battlebots and in that like your personal identity is tied up with your favorite robot um and like it's it's like it, we've always had flavors of um cruelty flavors of misogyny like uh, just like just Flavors of just, just, yeah, it's just awful. Um, but I feel like I don't know this season; it's worse. um Like I, I haven't seen many conversations in the BattleBots group where I'm like, "Wow, that's really thought provoking." Oh my goodness, what a great
2: take! You know, the group, the group completely ballooned this year. It's at almost yeah. sixty thousand members. Like to give you to give you perspective, last season it was at twenty thousand. Um, so it is completely ballooned this year. So you do have a lot of that in there. What I think is interesting is, you know, to get into the Facebook group and to start participating, you have to list who your favorite robot is. And it was very common before you'd have, you know, bite force, witch doctor, tombstone or a classic bot. It would be like a classic bot. And if I saw somebody else, I'd be like, oh, that's a real fan, right? If somebody was like, yeah, I like huge or I like ribot, then I'm like, oh, it's a real fan. Great. Not just a casual like watching it sometimes fan now it's all over the place as far as bot predictions go and there's a ton of new riptide fans that have come in riptides really hit a chord with a lot of of people that have joined the group recently and i do feel like it's um it's an identity politics thing in a lot of ways it's like hey is this a sport about engineering and um, craftsmanship and ingenuity and uh, sportsmanship, or is it like a death match? You know, because that the, what is the the kind of meme that you are hearing all the time in there right now? It's um, it's not cuddle bots; it's battle bots. Get over it. You know, we want the the bots to be destroyed after every single fight. There was a video posted in there yesterday, um, or over the weekend, I should say, of uh, the tombstone versus bombshell fight from the last abc season where tombstone literally dismantled bombshell and the person posted it and was like i post this without comment right as if to say like bots destroying each other and ripping each other apart has always been a part of the sport and Ray himself jumped into the comment thread, which I love this about Battlebots like social media, and I hate this about Battlebot social media. I feel like these guys need to protect themselves a little bit more than they do from the fans. But Ray jumped in and was like, "Hey, that was the last fight of the season. We knew that the season and the show was on the bubble for getting renewed. And by the way, it wasn't renewed with ABC. Um, we were instructed to put on a heck of a good match. And when it got to the point where obviously I was going to win, I asked them if it was okay if I destroyed their bot. You can hear me say it on air. Now, did they edit out the part where they said, yeah, go ahead? Yes, they did. But Mike said, Mike Jeffries said, yeah, do it. And I destroyed their bot. And that was the last fight of the season. That was the last fight possibly ever. We didn't know if BattleBots was coming back. And quite frankly, I think that fight had a lot to do with us getting picked up on Discovery a year later. Um, which is a valid point, but like, that's also a nuance to take and nuance seems hard in the BattleBots group when, when we're almost 60,000 members.
3: I, I, I feel, I feel like I see a post at least once a day where someone's basically dancing around like, is BattleBots a woke sport? You know, like I, I, I don't like this idea <laughs> that they're all friends and that, you know, they help each other out and like, I'm here for destruction. I'm here for explosions, right? It's just like. And I,
2: if BattleBot sport, why women there?
3: <laughs> right, right.
2: <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't
3: know. Like, but who knows? Uh, I, I agree with you, Lindsay. Every day, I, I think you know, maybe I'm gonna, maybe I'm gonna, you know, extract myself from this. I certainly don't comment ever. I mean, like, there's, there's not really great, great nuanced discussion. It's just mouth breathers breathing, breathing on one another. So i don't I don't think you could just
0: you could do what I do and spend i don't know uh less than six minutes a day on Facebook in total uh yeah, no that's fair, I don't know I like to to support my friends, i guess i don't know um i've I've got to kick the habit, you could call them, Luke, you could always call them on the telephone yeah that's that's fair um
3: okay, well um. Kyle, I know that you were saying that uh, some of these fights were a little predictable, you know, toward the end of the season. It's inevitable, of course, now that we've seen all of the robots fight at least three times. Um, And uh, from that, uh, this past week, we had 82 people send in predictions and five people managed to call all seven fights correctly. So well done this week. Those five people were Sammy Bendali, Ryan Hollander, Bob Schlau, Heather Stringfellow, and Ethan Van Gorp congratulations to uh the five of you the big upset of the night was tantrum versus whiplash with the majority of people thinking tantrum would win kyle as an fyi you managed to call five out of seven fights correctly missing the winners at the top and the bottom of the show cobalt and minotaur now all right let's get into uh this week's predictions with our own kyle Kroos. and now unfortunately we don't know what order these fights are going to be aired in so we're just going to go straight down the line starting with the number two seed, Riptide, versus the number 31 seed, Shatter. This is a rematch from 2021 where Riptide achieved a KO in 69 seconds. Kyle, your prediction?
2: Uh, this one pains me to say it, but it's going to be Riptide. I know Adam has a plan for Riptide, um, and I know it's a good plan. I just don't think it's enough. So, yes, Riptide's going to win this.
3: Okay. Hey. Uh, on to the number three seed, Witch Doctor, versus the number 30 seed, Jackpot.
2: Oh, this is going to be a really fun fight. Uh, Witch Doctor is going to win it, but Jackpot is going to put on a really good show.
3: Okay. Um, on to the number six seed, Huge, versus the number 27 seed, Scorpios.
2: Um, I do believe Huge is going to win this. In a normal season, like last season, the season before, I would actually probably give this to Scorpios. Um, Just because they're one of the few bots that can reach Huge. And typically, if you can reach Huge, you can you can kill a Huge. I don't think that's the case anymore. Huge is terrifying now. Um, Just an absolutely scary machine. Um, So yeah, this one's going to go to Huge.
3: Okay. Uh, On to the number seven seed Endgame versus the number 26 seed Tantrum. This will be the third time that these bots have fought. They faced one another in 2021 and again in Sin City Slugfest the following year. Where Endgame won both times. Kyle is going to be three times in a row.
2: It's probably going to be three times in a row. Yes, um, Endgame's going to win this one. Uh, they're just, you know, tantrum struggling a little bit this year. They get into the bracket based on pedigree and the fact that they were the champion last year. I, I don't think they would have made it in otherwise. Okay,
3: uh, on to the number ten seed Copperhead, uh, Chris and Lindsay's team, versus the number twenty three seed Rotator. Careful, Kyle.
2: This careful, is going to Kyle. be a. Re- I'm g- I'm very careful. Um, This is going to be an amazing fight, but talk about a bot that has normally been dominant and really struggled this year. Rotator has had a hard time, uh, especially with a lot of verticals that they've had to go up against this year. I'm going to have to give this one to Copperhead. And in fact, I'm going to go ahead and say it's probably going to be a quick fight.
3: Ooh, I'm going to make a little note. A quick fight. Um, hey, Good. Uh, on to a little bit of friend-on-friend action here. The number 11 seed Claw Viper versus the number 22 seed Madcatter. This is a rematch from Sin City Slugfest where Madcatter won by knockout. Um, is it? Uh, are they going to even up the score here with Claw Viper?
2: Um, yes, I do think that the score is going to be evened up. Um, I'm, I'll go ahead and say it. I think... Uh, I think this is going to end up being a Mad Catter win.
3: Oh, Catter.
2: Okay. I do. I think that Mad Catter is going to finally gonna pull this one out. Um, so, yeah, that's my guess. Okay.
3: Um, on to the number 14 seed Lockjaw versus the number 19 seed Bloodsport, a rematch of a 2020 bounty fight where Lockjaw won by judge's decision.
2: Uh, this one's going to go to Bloodsport. That's my guess. Um, I, I mean, Lockjaw. I never want to count them out, but Bloodsport knows how to play game time when game time happens. Um, I just, I think this one's going to go Bloodsport's way.
3: Okay. Final fight of the night: the number 15 seed Lucky versus the number 18 seed Hypershock.
2: <sighs> Man, excellent driving match. This is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, let's go ahead and give this one to Hypershock.
3: All right. So let's see, you've got uh, five, five, you know, uh, kind of, you know, you chose the higher seed. So brave, Kyle, I love it. Mm-hmm. And then three where you, uh, you think there's going to be three upsets. That's fantastic.
2: I do. I do think there's going to be three upsets. I don't think the seeding was very particularly based on the, the actual quality of bots. And plus you also had that rock, paper, scissors to contend with. One thing I will say speaking of internet um, like takes that are horrible uh, the anybody who said that he, that uh, witch doctor was given the easy bracket and like that was a theme I saw like millions of times after the bracket was announced, mm. uh, is just lying to themselves. That bracket is probably the second most terrifying bracket there. Uh, witch doctor is could be beaten by every bot on there on any given day. <laughs> like it's it's a pretty rough bracket to be. They're in the same bracket as huge. Like come on, come
1: on. Also like when you're at the top of the list like you're you're going to be numerically the best bot in your bracket. You know yeah. what I mean? So like uh, there's not many bots ranked higher than them that they could be like looped into a bracket with. Yeah.
2: Amen. Amen. The also like it, I think that even their low-seed fight right at the beginning, right? Uh, they're they're going to struggle fighting Jeff Waters' team tomorrow, uh, like on the show. I think it's going to be rough. I think that's going to be a hard fight for them. Like, that bot hits hard. Their weapon is much larger in diameter than Witch Doctor's. They've got a great chance as far as that goes. Do I think they're going to win? No. But, like, they could. They could very easily win that fight. And I don't think it would be a shocking upset. I think it would be like, oh, good on them. That's great. You know, like... It's um it's such a weird thing. Which doctor wins because they're good. They don't win because people give them breaks. They don't win because uh people favor them. They win because they bust their butts and their bot hits hard. Um and they've had really rough seasons, you know. I think people really forget that. They've had seasons where their weapon breaks every 5 seconds. It's it's never been an easy road for them. Hence they've never walked out of there with the nut. Maybe this is their year, you know.
3: I certainly hope so, Kyle. Um now, all right. Uh, if you think you're smarter than a Kyle, go to our Facebook page to send us your predictions. Uh, and uh, yeah, we're going to kick off the round of 32. I'm so excited. Um, after the break, Kyle's interview with Lucy Du.
2: This week on the podcast, we have a very special returning guest, Valkyrie captain Lucy Dew. Lucy is a BattleBots veteran who entered the competition way back in 2015 as a pit crew member for Overhaul, a dominant team made up of MIT engineering students that split up and launched the bots Road Rash and Sawblaze the following year. NHRL fans know Lucy for Hot Leaf Juice, the championship-winning four-wheel drive undercutter that has an incredible 24-7 record at the league, with three golden dumpsters and three podium finishes. In 2023, she took over as the captain for Team Valkyrie on BattleBots, uh, which just ended its qualifying season with a 2-2 record, falling just outside the cutoff point for the round of 32 we're catching up with Lucy to get her reflections on her first year as a Battlebots captain and driver. So, welcome to the show, Lucy. How are you doing?
4: Hi, I'm doing well.
2: Um, so Lucy, before we started recording, you were telling me a little bit about what you were up to this afternoon, and I thought it was so fascinating. So you were, uh, you were giving a little presentation at an after-school program.
4: Yeah, um, it's an after-school program run by a nonprofit called Innovators for Purpose. And it's a program that runs the after-school program for underserved communities in near the Boston area.
2: That is so cool. And so this is your, um, your like, not-for-profit of choice that you chose to support with your um, NHRL grant money that you got for winning, right?
4: Yes. Um, it was the grant money for the December finals event. And it was a program that one of my teammates, Alex Kreese, had worked with in, in his school program. And I reached out to them and was wondering if they were curious if they had some money that they or if they wanted some money from us. And, you know, of course, they took it. And we also talked to the kids earlier this semester um, about BattleBots, what combat is about, and brought even brought Alex's robot Kablooey Tango and let the kids drive it around for a bit.
2: Oh, that's so cool. Kibblee Tango is such a pretty robot too, so I'm sure they really like that. That's awesome. Um, man, that's so cool. I love hearing the stories of where that grant money from the December finals has gone, what programs it's gone into. There's even been a couple of competitions that you could see just like the production value of the competition and the, the you know, the, the facilities of those competitions have gotten so much better just because of that money that's floating around. So I love to hear those stories. I think that's so cool. Um, Were they into it? Did the kids like it? I think
4: so. I think the kids were a little bit shy, as kids tend to be, but I think they were pretty into it. There's a few kids that it was obvious that they have watched BattleBots. They know every fight and they can recite all the details of every episode.
2: That's awesome. Um, All right, so... Let's jump into like before we jump into robots, NHRL, all that. Let's just talk about like what life is going like doing for you outside of combat robotics. Um, so we got a question here from Brandon Bennett Young. He says, "Hey Lucy, always a pleasure talking to you at events. I remember reading/slash hearing about your work and the more mechanical focused side of the solution." Can you dive into that a bit more and maybe some updates slash breakthroughs you can share about your work life right now? Um, We have a similar question about your work outside combat robotics from Discord member Tommy L.
4: So I, for my work, for those of you that haven't heard it before, I design robotic prosthetic ankles and um, it's pretty cool. I get to try to design the next Iron Man, I guess, although that's technically an exoskeleton, Um, but I do a little bit more of the mechanical side of robotics design. So it's one of those, I try not to make it a fix it in software problem later on. Um, We try to design things to be as light as possible with the highest performance. And so that way combined with good software you can get the best performing device possible.
2: That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, what would that be? I guess that's a little bit before both of our times, but I guess that's closer to the uh, $6 million man. Do you remember that TV show? Or did you ever watch like reruns of that?
4: I have not.
2: Oh man. So he got into like a horrible car accident and uh, he was a secret agent, I think. And they rebuilt almost all of his internals with um, robotic parts. So he had like super strength arms and um, telescopic vision and all kinds of stuff because he was mostly machine. But he looked yeah. totally normal on the outside.
4: Yeah, I think one of the, you know, long stretch goals that my lab has and some things that we'd like to bounce around is just enhancing human limbs, um, not just match biological behavior, but be able to do much more with it.
2: Uh, yeah, that sounds awesome. I mean, it's going to make sports really challenging in the future as far as like what's allowed and stuff, but uh, that would be cool. Uh, Those are challenges I want to see in the world.
4: (laughs) Yes, for sure. I think um, even now with prosthetics, like the running blades, there have been some controversies and things going to court about rules for what should and shouldn't be allowed.
2: Understandably so. Yeah. I mean, you could see some people really getting crazy speed off of those, which makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Good point. Good point. All right. So I wanted to jump into some questions about NHRL. It is impending NHRL this weekend um it's May the Havoc be with you coming up on Saturday. Uh so we have a couple of questions about that. Um so first question comes from hello Heather Stringfellow. Um so she says, "Do you still plan on competing at NHRL?"
4: Um absolutely. I am planning on competing this weekend with Kabluie Tango, which is Alex Creese's robot. Um we have done a little bit of team design review and our it's supposed to be kind of a testing platform for things that we would eventually like to incorporate into Valkyrie so no promises that any changes that are on Kablooie tango make it to Valkyrie but it gives me some drive practice and it's really fun to compete
2: it so. is a it's a pretty robot too alex does good work he does um, all right. So she has this other question, which is not NHRO related, but I think it's a fun one to ask you. I know you have a long history of engineering, right? I like that. Like, uh, You just happen to fall into these engineering things all the time, right? You're just on the way to work and you, ha- you accidentally engineered something out of a newspaper or whatever. Um, so she <laughs> says, what was the first thing you remember designing and building?
4: My memory is not great. I don't remember... Exactly what it was, but I think my I did attempt to not become an engineer for a really long time in my childhood. Um, I gave up a little bit when I was a ninth grader, a freshman in uh, high school, and I joined my first robotics team. So I was a part of that and started helping design our robot, nothing in particular as a freshman, but I ended up wiring the entire robot that year. Um, I like routed everything and then learned how all of the electrical systems worked. So that was my earliest memory of really doing something hardcore engineering.
2: That's awesome. Um, all right, so we've got a question here from Mitch Sullivan who runs Purple People Eater at NHRL, one of my favorite bots to say when calling fights. Um, he says, Hey, Lucy wanted to say that I love all capitals, hot leaf juice. It's such a solid robot and seems almost impossible to kill. What are some design choices that you made on hot leaf juice that you think would translate well to Valkyrie?
4: Um, I think one of the things is probably it's simplicity. Um, hot leaf juice, as I mentioned all the time is built basically around that front weapon billet. So everything is in the one part, it's obviously harder to replace if it's the one expensive part, but um, if it is able to survive everything, then you don't have to replace it very often. So I think Valkyrie has a lot of little parts. We make it so that it's a little bit easier to replace modular sections of the robot. But to some extent, if money was not a problem, having one larger piece of billet that is a little bit over-engineered, so it survives almost all the time. I think it would make fixing the robot a little bit easier.
2: That billet got you through like more than one season of NHRL fights, didn't it? So
4: after the full one-year season, we retired the first billet, and then... Cause we had ordered two, one is a spare and we just never <laughs> used the spare for the whole first year. So the second year we were like, well, we still have the spare billet. Let's just run it again.
2: Nice.
4: Um, and so we ran the second one for the second season.
2: That's really cool. That's uh, quite a lot of bang for your buck there. I love that. Um, okay. The other question Mitch has, and I think this is more of a personal question. He says, w- uh, if you were to give any tips to new builders, what would it be?
4: don't be discouraged when your robot gets destroyed.
2: It's part of the process, right? (laughs) It
4: it is part of the process. And as an engineer, and I think when I first started, it was a little bit heartbreaking um, and sometimes can feel discouraging once your robot enters the ring and you have to keep fixing it. You design something poorly and you just have to, the one part breaks every time and you have to keep fixing it. Um, And then, you know, it, takes a certain amount of redesigning effort to design it out and then it may or may not work the second time around. Um, And that's okay. It's okay to try crazy ideas. It's okay for the ideas not to work. And it's okay if your robot gets destroyed in the ring. That's how we learn.
2: Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, All right. So our next question comes from Ryan Hunter. Ryan Hunter has been doing this thing lately where he's been asking ChatGPT to ask questions, which I think is so funny. Um, So I'm going to ask one from him and then I'll ask one from ChatGPT through his prompts. Uh, So he says, how has your experience at NHRL and with Hot Leaf Juice translated to leading a team with Valkyrie?
4: I think my experience with NHRL and running Hot Leaf Juice during events has kind of Helped me learn all of some of the little things that go into preparing a robot for a fight and also checking for failures after the fight so that you can prepare for the next one. Um, I think being a captain means that you are overseeing everything that's going on with your team, with your robot. Make sure that you um, check all the boxes, check all the things that you're supposed to check and make sure that everything is good on the robot before it goes in. Yeah. Um, obviously, you also have your team for it, but I think NHRL with the robots being smaller um, and the teams being sometimes a little bit smaller, you kind of have to learn how to do everything, which does help when you translate to the larger robots.
2: <laughs> yeah, uh, um, I mean, that that's, makes a lot of sense. All right, so ChatGPT wants to know, what have been some of the biggest challenges you've faced as a builder, and how have you overcome them?
4: As a builder, um, one of the challenges that I did mention earlier was it's a little bit heartbreaking sometimes when you see your work get destroyed in the arena, but again, that's why we do combat. We are here to destroy things and watch things get destroyed, so it's awesome at the same time um, and Sometimes, I think when I first started, it was a little bit intimidating. It feels like there are a lot of people that are in combat that have been here for a long time. And it's a very tight-knit community that it feels tough to break into sometimes as a beginner. But um, I learned to just ask people questions. Don't need to feel shy. Don't need to feel awkward. Just ask away and the more questions you ask, the more people you talk to, the more you learn and the more integrated you'll get into the community.
2: Yeah. Um, all right. So business cat who of course runs Ram plan. He's on the team for biggest shit in HRL. He wants to know how big is your trophy shelf for damaged parts that you've been gifted? Hot leaf juice has collected so many at this point.
4: Um, I, unfortunately don't have a trophy shelf. I live in a very (laughs) small apartment in Cambridge, so I have a box where I've been keeping parts in. And luckily, 12-pounders aren't that big, so I don't need to have too much space. (laughs) But um, someday, I think, uh, even with the hot leaf juice original billet, I think I would like to epoxy cast that and some of the really cool trophies into something to display on a shelf.
2: Oh, that would be cool. Yeah. Maybe you could do like a shadow box or a diorama.
4: Oh yeah.
2: Um, all right. So Jaden Shuba has a question. I think a lot of people want to know. Um, he runs Walter Marvin and Bromine at NHRL. He says is boomerang coming back? No pun intended, but come on. Why wouldn't you intend the pun on that bud? Like, come <laughs>
4: on. It's a pretty good pun. Um, Boomerang might come back for now. I don't have... I didn't have a plan for it. The weapon stack up in Boomerang is now in Jasmine Dragon. Oh, Um, cool. So, the last Norwalk, I... Like, two weeks before the Norwalk, I wasn't supposed to build a beetle, and I was like, well, I have these parts. I guess I should just get some more drive practice. So, um, I, I designed a beetle, threw the parts in, and Driving a four-wheel drive robot is a lot more fun than a two-wheel drive robot, in my opinion. It does more of what you want it to do. So um, I'm slightly partial to the four-wheel drive. Jasmine Dragon drives a lot more like Hot Leaf Juice, and it's just more pleasant. So we'll see about Boomerang. I think Boomerang does give a little bit closer of a driving experience to Valkyrie. So if I wanted some more Valkyrie, Specific type of drive practice, I should bring Boomerang back. But for now, I don't have concrete plans.
2: So this is from Mario Cast. Mario Cast says Hi, Lucy. What were your expectations being a team captain and driver for the first time in BattleBots this year? Um, I'm very curious about that, too. Like, was this what you expected it to be? Did you not know what to expect? Like, this had to be a roller coaster of emotions for you.
4: Um, it really was a roller coaster of emotions. I think having been in BattleBots for several years, I think I was a little bit more prepared about what it takes to be a team captain, Um, and I have seen it from a lot of different teams and what different teams are like. So I think being captain of a team is probably very different uh, of an experience, depending on the team that you have and also the type of captain that you'd like to be. So it it was a lot of things there are certain things like the sheer number of small decisions that i just have to make and be in charge of that i wasn't quite prepared for yeah um
2: yeah no that makes a lot of sense um i mean y- you can't know every aspect of that role if you haven't been the captain before um so that makes a lot of sense uh so nhrl community director gil hova friend of the podcast friend of everybody really Uh, He says, Lucy, what factored into your decision to be Valkyrie's driver this season? Will you be driving again next season? I was curious about this as well, especially because, you know, I knew you to come in and build and design Hot Leaf Juice, but then ask somebody else to drive it. So I didn't know that this was something you were interested in or something that you like were working towards. So what was the kind of decision making behind that?
4: Yeah, um, when I first... Built Hot Leaf Juice. Uh, the original plan was I, I didn't really want to drive. I was I loved building stuff, and I was just going to leave driving to the people that were well practiced and good at it. But um, as as I became captain of Valkyrie, I was talking to Alex, and we realized there are very few women that drive in Battle Bots. Yes. And. Um, I realized that I was shying away from driving because I was afraid that I would be bad at it. And I'm trying this new thing where I do things to try to get better at them, even if I'm not good at it, to start with. Because (laughs) I think, especially combat driving, even if you're good at driving RC cars, it's a completely different type of driving. Yeah. Sure, there's the muscle memory, but the decisions that you make, what you do during a fight, are very specific to combat robotics. and it's okay to not be good when you start out. And I think that it, you know, I wanted to be better at it. I wanted to be able to compete alongside with other people. And I think the more that I've driven, hopefully the better I'm getting and um, the more fun I'm actually able to have. uh, And it's starting to balance out the stress of being in a fight
2: you've been driving a lot more at an hrl events as well not even you know just your robots but um you know alex's robot has that experience been incredibly helpful i mean from what i've heard from other drivers you know the the smaller weight classes are actually much more difficult to manage in a lot of ways than the heavyweights um so has that experience been you know helpful in driving the heavyweight or or was that kind of the plan all the way around all along
4: um so actually before i drove valkyrie um i only drove boomerang and i only had like three fights or something <laughs> and before that i had driven my old beetle but that was you know four or so years ago right so it'd been a while um and then i was just you know fast-tracked on having to drive valkyrie on national tv <laughs> um and i d- i do have to say in beetle it's tough because everything is moving around so fast uh, yeah. You kind of have to react a lot faster. So, in BattleBots, things move much slower. Your robot has so much more inertia, and it's in some ways a little bit easier because you have a little bit more time to react. But I think, you know, after having driven at BattleBots and now driving at NHRL, the matches do seem a little less stressful. There's not the big, the big like buzzer blaring as you're waiting for the match to start. You know, my heart rate isn't quite like 200 beats per minute. Um, but I think I'm able to have a little bit more fun and the more I develop the muscle memory, the more I'm able to actually think about the decisions that I'm trying to make in a fight. So I think it just takes practice.
2: Um, yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Um, okay. So uh, Gil also wanted to let you know that he wished Valkyrie could have made the bracket. I hope to see you in champions later this year. Um, which I think everybody agrees with. I mean, it's just so much fun to see Valkyrie fight. Anyway, it's such a pretty bot, and it's capable of such amazing hits. Uh, we're, we're all looking forward to seeing you in that Champions tournament if you guys make it in.
4: Yeah, well, you'll have to see. I don't actually know if I've heard any plans for when they're airing it, but
2: yeah, right. We'll find out. We'll find out. Um, all right. So Michael Cross, who runs Stack Beetlebot at NHRL, writes: Hi Lucy, congratulations on your fe- first outing as a BattleBots captain. Were there any personal slash team victories that you wanted to build on for next season?
4: So I think as a team, we're really proud of what we've really accomplished. We didn't have a lot of time. Our team came together very last minute and our Mm -hmm. team was almost completely new to combat as a whole. And I think we also were one of the few teams that was majority women and I think that's very special but we were we all worked together really well and I think as a team we've grown a lot Um, and we've even had a lot of the newbies on our team build robots and compete them compete with them at NHRL and some of them are coming back again like for example Bam is coming back for her second NHRL this weekend uh, with Nightlight
2: very cool that's an awesome robot too oh that's going to be great to see um all right so riderly angle has a really good series of questions and i hope it, it generates some good conversation here so what are some challenges of becoming both the captain of a, of a uh, the captain and driver of a bot as difficult to deal with as valkyrie right famously we've heard from fred moore many, many times like how difficult Valkyrie is to drive and handle and, and kind of deal with on that heavyweight scale. Um, so what were some challenges you had coming into those roles?
4: Uh, it, Fred and Leanne left a lot of big shoes to fill. So yeah. I think one of the challenges has just been living up to everybody's expectations of Valkyrie and what they expected Valkyrie to drive like, to be like, um, to look like from the outside, and um, so that's that's a whole can of worms there. Um, like Fred said, Valkyrie was pretty bad to drive. I think it's a little bit it's special because the um, the weapon is on a live shaft. So um, as I guess most of the undercutters are at the heavyweight class, and because of that, as the weapon spins up or spins down, the uh, weapon shaft that's dragging on the ground will cause the robot to move um, and drift a little bit, but it's not very—it's uh, not a very predictable drift. So you kind of just have to constantly correct for it. And then on top of that, Valkyrie's um, center of mass is bad; it's sitting right over the weapon <laughs> shaft, so we have really bad traction, and it takes a little bit for the robot to start going in the direction you want it to. So it was tough to start driving Valkyrie with confidence because Valkyrie moves best in big, swoopy, large, continuous motions. Mm. And as a new driver, it was hard for me to trust in driving the robot in continuous motions. I kept wanting to stop, turn, go straight, stop, turn. And so hopefully you'll see the motions getting a little bit more continuous with each fight that I have. Um, I was getting there
2: yeah i it was definitely like you could see improvements each fight. um so that's interesting. man, that's, a, that's such a cool like background information to have. um, so what kind of feeling is there taking over as captain of a bot or sorry, um some of out of a follow up of the previous question um when taking over as captain, do you have a lot of info or in contact with the previous team or was there kind of a here's the bot, have fun? Um, and you had to figure it out on your own sort of thing. I mean, I know you have several team members that were a part of Valkyrie before and are now, uh, but like, were you talking to Leanne a lot? Were you talking to Fred a lot? Were you getting advice from them? Were you talking to them about certain aspects of the the driving and the, you know, the kind of layout of the team beforehand? Or or was this just, all right, no time, go do the thing?
4: Um, I did get some help. So Fred had given me some pointers in, in driving as best as he could. Um, briefly. And then <laughs> I think Alex obviously was on the original team of Valkyrie and he stayed for this season. So he did an incredible job uh, helping me and everybody else on our team get up to speed with how the robot works, how the robot goes together, here are certain things. Um, there are a few things that Fred was in charge of and I had to ask Fred directly, but he was really great with uh, helping me out when I asked him for that. And with Leanne, she was also in a lot of our team meetings. So she was there to kind of tell us about how certain things were done on the team, how we handled a lot of stuff. So there was a little bit of, there was pretty good handover.
2: That's good. That's good. It seemed that way. And the bot looked absolutely gorgeous this year. I mean, I loved the, the kind of keep away stick that you guys had implemented. There were so many, it didn't feel like it was a new team. It felt like you guys were really building on a lot of what they'd done in the past. Um, all right, so this is the last question from Ryder angle and he puts in parentheses: "I hope this one isn't too spicy." On commentary, they try to act like you weren't being "quote unquote" aggressive enough. When, as a viewer, I didn't see it that way at all. How do you feel about some of those editing decisions and some of those commentary decisions on the show?
4: That's a that is a slightly spicy question.
2: <laughs> um, <laughs>
4: yes, I, I I will admit that. Um, I. In my opinion, feel like the commentary was a little bit unfair. Yeah, um, I noticed that there are moments when I'm Alex and I both clearly remember glitch were, was getting counted out, and they didn't show that that was happening in the episode. So I think that kind of helped along with the commentary um, and the story that they were trying to tell about us and about me as a driver.
2: Yeah, I mean, especially in a season where there's so much conversation about, you know, not doing unnecessary damage to a bot that is obviously immobile or out of commission um that's clearly what you guys were doing like they were knocked out and you were waiting to see if they started moving again like that's you know that's the considerate and kind uh, thing to do to fellow competitors and that's like what you're supposed to be doing according to the rules at that time period i felt like that was completely unfair to you guys
4: Yeah. Our team has since then had some discussions about whether we should be more aggressive and try to hit our opponent more. But most of the time, you know, everybody puts a lot of time and money and energy, emotional energy into the robots. If they don't want to take the hit, um, you know, if they want to keep going, then that's totally up to them. And the drivers can, during the middle of the fight, kind of figure that out. Yeah. But if not, or if they're getting counted out, I feel like it it's not really necessary for that. But I think the commentary was very conscious on the productions part yeah. to tell the story that they were trying to tell for the top thirty two
2: right. yeah. um new new team captain, a little bit skittish behind the sticks was like the story they seemed to be wanting to tell, and it was like, oh, come on, yeah. guys. Um, you know, never mind that you are one of the few people that have been there every single season of BattleBots, and you've been competing in this sport forever. Um, all right, so questions from Ethan Van Gorp. Um, he said, "I've always wondered what are the biggest differences between being part of a team and being the team captain."
4: I think it depends on the team that you're on. I think team captains take different roles on different teams, and probably the types of work that everybody takes on and the way it's delegated is different depending on the team but in my experience i think as a team captain you obviously get a lot more attention from production from people from fans um but that also means that you get a lot more attention for all of your mistakes and your pitfalls so you spend a lot of time owning up to your successes but also all of the team's failures collective failures right um and then i I mentioned this a little bit earlier is just the sheer number of little decisions that you know your team will look to you to make Um, and these are big decisions like whether or not something apart is good enough to run for the next fight or little ones like when should we eat dinner can we eat dinner now um You know, what color should our shirts be? Exactly what shade of blue should we pick? (laughs) Um, You know, you get the final stamp on everything. And it's like, do I make the right decision? Is this the right blue? And, you know, there is a little bit of decision fatigue that I (laughs) ran into in the middle of the season.
2: Oh, gosh, I can only imagine. Yes, absolutely. Um, All right. So also as a first year team captain, how was your multi-week stint in Las Vegas changed? Um, did you do different things with your free time or did you have any free time?
4: Yeah, I was going to say, what free time? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think our team, every time we won, we would go to In-N-Out and get a celebratory meal at In-N-Out together um, instead of eating the food at the venue. Um, I think there was maybe one or two days somewhere Uh, Right before a dark day where we went and walked up and down the strip, we might have eaten some special food went out to dinner. Um, But I think Oh, yeah, another one was our team, we gathered in one hotel room, and we watched the Star Wars holiday special together.
2: (laughs) All right. Um,
4: Yeah, that was a special one. (sighs) Or Taylor Swift music videos.
2: Taylor Swift really uh, hits a chord with a lot of BattleBots team members. I've noticed Um, people really have a a strong affinity for her music.
4: Yeah. And I think even more so last um, the last filming session in Las Vegas overlapped with her release of the Midnight's album.
2: Ah. So I remember,
4: I think I was, you know, we had just not made the top 32 and I finally had a chance to sit and listen to her whole album at like midnight
2: <laughs> yeah it's great to hear about you know like um the names of teams actually being like uh inspired by taylor swift songs including end game um and i believe blood sport like come on just you gotta love that
4: yeah anti-hero uh, is definitely our team's
2: mantra it's, it's your anthem season. i love yes. it i love it that's so good <laughs> um all right so this is an interesting kind of like Battlebots question from Michael Chale. One thing fans hear about a lot is needing to get experience just driving the robots. Um, there's no safe place to drive the robot, right? There's no safe place to to practice these things. Do you think Battlebots should try to schedule more driving time in the box, especially now that the box is a little bit more uh, semi permanent?
4: That would be really cool. Uh, I think it would be cool to have practice time to drive around but i think it's also tough for BattleBots to allow us to drive around with our weapons on yeah. um, especially with horizontal spinners i think nobody wants to accidentally hit the wall and then the wall has to get fixed the robot has to get fixed but i think being able to drive around the box and feel around the box would be incredibly helpful
2: yeah i mean it's um you know like olympic athletes get to go down the ski courses multiple times before they actually have to compete on them you know you guys are one of the few sports where they're just like nope you get no practice in here just go um so yeah that is a little bit a little bit weird that that is seems like something that should be addressed
4: yeah but i think i do think the smaller weight classes does help a lot so sure that's about the best we can do for now
2: and then Thomas Allen Sampson, he says, what was the greatest highlight from this year for your team?
4: Um, I think potentially our greatest highlight hasn't happened yet. Um, so give me a sec to think about. <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, one of the big highlights for our team this season was breaking Glitches' beater um, in two pieces. That was kind of incredible. I yeah. remember uh, we took we had a really big weapon on weapon hit just before it happened, and I remember in the moment I was like, "Oh crap! Hopefully the blade didn't bend. Um, I hope this isn't a disaster." And then I remember looking and seeing that their beater had stopped, and I looked a little bit more. Um, and I was just, you know, trying to make sure I was driving the robot in the right direction. And Alex was like, "You broke the beater. And I was like, Oh my <laughs> God, we broke the beater. Um,
2: I had like almost the exact, like watching it on, uh, when I was watching, I was watching it on my phone. Right. Cause, um, I watch it like early in the morning and, uh, I was like, Oh my gosh, I think that just snapped. I think they just snapped that. And like, then to hear the narrative is the driving wasn't aggressive enough when the narrative should be, you just ripped that beater bar in half. Uh, I was like, so. mad.
4: (laughs) Yeah. I think one of the more disappointing parts, um, we were all really looking forward to the glitch fight. I think we were so excited about the beater getting broken. We took so many pictures with the broken beater afterwards, individually with the team. um, And we talked to glitch a lot afterwards and made some friends but i think we were really excited about the commentary that might happen because we expected you know chris and kenny to kind of freak out about the the theater being broken it's kind of a big deal
2: it's a huge um, deal it's a i mean that's a massively expensive piece of machinery too that you guys snapped as well like just the stakes are so high for that you know it's like yeah. it's so crazy that you did that um how many of those did they even have i mean they're like a college team right
4: I think they had two or three. I think the sponsor had covered it for them, but it was a very expensive part. And um, I remember some of their team members were in agony after the fight because (laughs) it was such an expensive part that we broke, which I'm so sorry about. But again, that's what we're here for.
2: Yes, absolutely. I mean, and going weapon to weapon with glitch is a terrifying prospect anyway. To come out of that, breaking their weapon is like the coolest thing ever. It's the best outcome possible. Yeah, oh man and kyle and those guys are just so nice i mean just such Mm -hmm. nice people uh i'm bummed they had such a hard season this year um but man they have such a cool bot
4: yeah afterwards i was like can i have one of the halves of the beater and they're like no we'll probably sell this so i was a little disappointed (laughs) but you know
2: talk about trophy collecting i love that
4: (laughs) Would be the perfect one. Uh, you,
2: you would have to get a shelf put up in your apartment for that though
4: i would uh, i think i would epoxy cast it and put it right next to the hot leaf juice billet
2: yes that would be awesome <laughs> all right so um we've got some some design and strategy questions for you I, this is um specific to valkyrie but i think it goes to undercutters in general this is from andrew lynch what exactly is the strategy for an undercutter it seems like it's just go for the wheels but is there more to it than that so like let's just give you a hypothetical so you're going in there you're gonna face uh you know your standard four-wheel drive vertical spinner bot and you know what configuration you need to put on to defend yourself the best but what are you aiming for what are you working towards to take them out
4: um so wheels are obviously nice but because a lot of people protect their wheels from the front it's difficult it's In practice, difficult to actually drive around a robot and hit their wheels, even if they are exposed from the sides. Um, And even though that's like every time all the drivers get interviewed, the plan is always to like drive around the sides and hit the exposed wheels. (laughs) It's not really that practical because most BattleBots drivers are good enough that they can at least point the front of their robot towards you. Um, So for us, I think... Beyond wheels, if we get wheels, that's great. Um, it's to kind of eat at the front of bottom edge of the wedge. Um, and if you can eat up some of that um, and you get a little bit more of a lip to hit on, you get a better chance of ripping off the wedge. And the lower edge kind of hopefully is a little bit less um, deflecty if you can catch the actual bottom edge of the wedge rather than the middle of the the whole sheet of now everyone has AR.
2: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So a big part of it is like either ripping that wedge off or just kind of careening their whole bot off to the side if you can, just to give you f- like more options for hits or more options for attacks.
4: Um, one surprise method, I guess, of attack that sometimes happens with Valkyrie is we ride up the wedge and then we, because the blade is now on the bottom, we hit stuff that's on the top of the robot, which is not actually something we really think about most of the time. Um, or if you're fighting a horizontal spinner you kind of defend against but it has happened where valkyrie has actually made some pretty good hits on the top of a robot because it rode above the wedge
2: um that's awesome i like that actually that's a really cool insight um all right so question from nicholas lopez he said this is a related question as a representative of the undercutter nation what design challenges make undercutter robots difficult? What problems are unique to undercutters and either need to be solved or mitigated to be able to put up a good fight with an undercutter?
4: Um, one of the biggest things that I think not just undercutters, but horizontal spinners in general, is how to beat the wedge, um, which our first attempt was using this the fork, spear, jousting stick that we had on Valkyrie this year. And it was actually something we... David and I had talked about putting on hot leaf juice, but um, the BattleBots season got announced before we got to rev hot leaf juice, so I guess we just had to try it on the heavyweight first. (laughs) Um, Which, we learned some things from it. I think it, it works, but Valkyrie doesn't quite have the drive, or mostly the traction over the wheels, to actually be able to get underneath the opposing robot. So I think it's tough for Valkyrie specific shaped undercutters to be able to use that strategy without additional traction help like magnets.
2: Is that something you're thinking about implementing with it into the future?
4: Maybe. We've talked about it as a team and I think, you know, we've seen some teams get high centered on magnets a lot. You know, it's like live by the magnet, die by the magnet. So we have to fully yep. accept that we would be willing to die by the magnet. Um, but it is definitely something that we're looking into because now that so many teams are using magnets, it seems like you kind of just have to do it too, to keep up with everyone.
2: How do you replicate the magnet? And this is, you know, I, this is me asking now, um, how do you replicate replicate the magnet or the properties of the magnet on plywood?
4: Um, so, you know, Calvin has done the wood magnets, which is with the, the metal cleats, and it doesn't quite give you more downforce, but it does kind of give you more effective traction, so it, I don't know if it actually helps with not gyroing as much. Um, I don't have the experience of driving a FERT actually in the wooden box, but um, it does help give you traction, which is part of the benefit of having magnets.
2: Right, but I, I think I'm more asking like, how would you on the fork or on the the keep away stick? How would you kind of replicate magnets on that on plywood? Like, oh, I see. Is there a way to like um, keep that stick down, keep it, keep it pinned to the floor somehow or gliding really close to the floor?
4: So springs, I think, um, is kind of the way to do it. I think most people um, in BattleBots or even in the smaller weight classes now also just put springs in the forks to make sure it pushes down. Um, but you need to make sure you don't push down too far because otherwise you'll lift the front of your robot up and your front wheels probably won't make as much traction.
2: Yeah, I mean, that makes perfect sense. Um, All right. So, taking on an existing, this is a question from Steven Egert. And I think um, this is, you know, a lot of people have questions along this vein. So, taking on an existing robot, was there anything you would have wanted to change but got stuck with because it was an existing design? And if so, what would your version of Valkyrie be like if you were designing it from scratch, besides making a heavyweight hot leaf juice, of course? Um, what, what would you kind of like make modifications on, on this bot now that it's, now that she's all yours?
4: I, I did get stuck with certain things of Valkyrie that were inherited because of the quick turnaround season that we had. Um, sure. I did end up changing up the weapon module completely because I know Valkyrie has always struggled to find a motor controller that would be able to power the weapon and the motor that they chose. but it was tough because I had talked to Fred and he was like, well, Valkyrie is just designed around this weapon motor that we chose. And I now had to find a different solution to fit other weapon motors in it. Um, so I did get to change one thing that I really wanted to. but um, And I know this is like slightly controversial, but Val- uh, Valkyrie is mostly metric and almost all metric. And I design an Imperial... Because we live in America and it's easier to find <laughs> Imperial tools and stuff. And I know I'm not going to win this fight with my team. So we are staying metric. But um, a small thing I would have changed is I probably would have made Valkyrie Imperial.
2: You're just better at dividing by 12 than 10. Is that really what it all comes down or to? Or
4: 16. Um, <laughs> no, I think it's it's just I'm just used to that. I'm I grew up using mostly Imperial stuff.
2: Same. Um, so, yeah
4: um, but one of the another thing that we inherited was that um, because different members of the old team Valkyrie use different CAD packages, uh, there's not actually a complete CAD model of Valkyrie of the current existing Valkyrie anywhere. Um, everybody has like different portions of the CAD and then they would import it or they would export it as a step file, and then Alex would put it into. A fusion CAD model. And then um, I think the fusion CAD model didn't even have everything complete in it. And we weren't really able to estimate a weight of Valkyrie even, which was really stressing me out when I was redesigning the weapon module. I was like, how much weight do we have? I don't actually know. Um, Wow. One thing that we're really trying to do this year is select one single CAD software that everybody needs to switch to. And we will fully design the robot in the one CAD package. So we have a complete clean CAD somewhere.
2: Wow. Okay. Yeah. All right. So uh, this is a Thomas Allen Sampson question. Other than experimenting with ground game slash forks and obviously this weapon module change, were there any other changes that you guys made to Valkyrie this season?
4: Um, We changed the weapon shaft to titanium um, for two of the three Valkyries. Uh, because we wanted so after the hypershock fight um, that broke the shaft and sheared it we were like well maybe steel isn't the way is it maybe not springy enough and having talked to rotator and also robot we found that they also use titanium shafts so we tried out using a titanium shaft this year Um, and For the fights so far during the main season, they were fine. We ran into a slight problem in the malice fight because we forgot to change the torque spec from when we were torquing in the bolts to hold the weapon on Mm. from titanium to steel, or from steel to titanium. So we accidentally over-torqued the bolts um, before going into the fight. And then we were like, well that's probably fine and again this is one of those like team captain made a decision it was not the right decision yeah um and the all the threads ended up pulling out because we had over torqued them
2: so listen you made like 14 great decisions before that though so don't beat yourself up over it
4: (laughs) yeah well now we learn you know don't over torque your bolts it's very important (laughs) (laughs) So lesson for everyone out there, make sure you double check your torque specs and all your material properties.
2: Yep, absolutely. Oh man, that's really funny. All right. So NHRL builder and Mammoth team member, Brandon Bennett-Young writes, as a fellow horizontal builder, what do you think the future of horizontals will be, particularly in the 12s and 30 pound weight classes? As very thick bars continue to bend thinner, more cutting blades, is there a certain design change or strategy that comes to mind as far as the future of the that genre? What do you think?
4: We're still trying to figure that out. I think forks is potentially some solution, um, but I think another thing that we have to stop from happening is the blades just bending, so there's actually a hot leaf juice blade that we had made and did not run yet Um, that is just a little bit smaller diameter and um, is thicker so that we can use it against the vertical spinners and hopefully they won't quite get bent as bad Um, because Prometa has definitely bent Holly chooses blade yeah really really bad I think it was at least like three-quarter of an inch bent upwards Um, and then, you know, we flip it around the next fight and he'll bend it back. <laughs>
2: <laughs> hey, you broke it. You got to fix it, bud. Um, that's really funny, um, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um, but right, so...
4: Yeah. The whole undercutter thing. It's really hard, especially in the heavyweights. It yeah. It doesn't seem like you can really have a blade thick enough to not get bent. Yeah. Um, so avoiding those weapon to weapon hits may look unaggressive but maybe a strategy
2: might be best for your uh pocketbooks and longevity in the tournament um yeah makes sense all right so the next kind of questions that we have are like future plans for valkyrie questions slash future plans for you questions um so dylan price says will four-wheel drive valkyrie be a full billet body this is very presumptuous of him um, is that even a good idea at this scale? I know how well billet frames perform for your bots at NHRL. Wow. So uh, he's already decided for you that, that Valkyrie is going to be a full billet um, body next year. So, you know, and four wheel drive. So given that information, is this a good idea?
4: I think if we were made of money, that would be nice. <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> I think, um, you know, robot is largely a full billet um at least other under, under 100 modules um and it's very expensive to make it's a huge piece of aluminum that you have to hug out um and i think yeah. you know even if we get it quoted somewhere cheap it's it's a lot and the tough part with the one billet is if the billet gets destroyed for part of it it's a lot harder to fix um so i think on heavyweights the bot's proportionally take things get bent a lot easier um at the bigger weight at the heavier weight classes um it's funny because sometimes the armor thickness on 30 pounders is the same armor thickness that 250 pounders have so you aren't really able to take the hits quite as well at 250 yeah at 250 pounds so i don't know if a billet is fully practical Um uh, just because it's so much harder to fix or replace, and expensive, but I think certain parts making the billet are are nice.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, all right, so this is an Alexander Archer question, but Mario Cast has a similar one. Um, is Valkyrie going to remain a horizontal spinner next season, or do you really plan to make it a vertical spinner, as suggested by your April Fools' post on Facebook, which, by the way, was a hilarious post. Obviously, you put a lot of work into the, the uh, like, Photoshopping of that. Um, but, yeah, it was actually kind of a cool design. So, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> <laughs> um,
4: so, I think on Team Valkyrie, you know, every meeting we have, we kind of joke about turning into a vert. Um, but I think we firmly believe that valkyrie's whole look is very undercutter based and Mm -hmm. i think we're going to stay as an undercutter at least for a little bit longer until we exhaust all of our options i think valkyrie the design and even the bot from last year has a lot more to show than we were able to so we we will stick for undercutter for a little bit longer
2: um alexander's next question is do you plan to remain valkyrie's captain and driver for the foreseeable future or is there a chance that leanne or frederick will want to return to their respective roles that they had on the on the team before you took over
4: um i believe at least for the next season i will still be captain and driver
2: very cool um do you guys plan on doing any practice driving for valkyrie at destructing Thon proving grounds this year
4: the destructor crown a -a destruct-a-thon proving grounds is a little bit tough because we just live so far. Uh, They don't really cover the costs of going there. So I don't think that we're really, it's practical for us to go all the way over there to practice. Although it would be nice. Um, If we were more local to Las Vegas, we absolutely would.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's a great opportunity for sure. Everybody's looking for more drive time. So
4: yeah. Now if NHRL built a heavyweight arena, in Connecticut, we could, you know, show up and try driving around there.
2: Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, <laughs> hint, hint to any NHRL money bags, people listening to this podcast. Um, so here's the, the real crux of it. And this is an Alexander Archer question, but I think it's a question from everybody. Were you surprised that Valkyrie didn't make it into the round of 32?
4: I knew that we were kind of on the edge. And even if we made it into the round of 32, we'd be closer to the bottom um closer to like rank 32 but yeah i was a little disappointed and a little bit surprised that we didn't make it i think that um at least after coming off the glitch fight i thought that we had done a pretty good job of showing um the power of valkyrie's weapon and i had hoped that that would be enough but it's okay to be that way
2: yeah fair enough fair enough So here's a couple of questions, I guess, about Sin City Slugfest slash champions this year. Um, Obviously, answer these as you are allowed to and uh, avoid those ones you are not. Um, But uh, this is from Reagan Bachelor. She says, hey, Lucy, I have nothing but respect after hearing how difficult driving a powerful undercutter like Valkyrie is. I've got a long question, but mostly it's about champions or Sin City Slugfest or whatever they're calling it this year. Um, For teams that didn't make the tournament but planned on participating in champions, what do they do in between their last fights and champions? Like, What is is the downtime like after you find out you're not going to be in the tournament? Is there downtime?
4: Um, I think there was a day or so. uh, But basically, I think uh, there was one dark day. I think they announced it right before there was one dark day. And then the first day back after that was the top 32. and on that day they announced whether or not you were in champions so oh gotcha all of the teams that wanted to be in champions you basically sign up for it say that we still have parts we're still interested in fighting and then the selection committee decides who is in what bracket and whether or not you fight so you get about a day or two to get ready for it
2: oh okay that's actually really good um And lastly, is it common for other teams waiting for the tournament to end to help teams still in with repairs? Um, Like, do you you guys like kind of stand by to help your friends out if they're in the tournament and and you know you're going to need a hand? Uh, How does that all kind of work culturally?
4: Um, Yeah, I think there are teams uh, and team members that kind of float around after their teams are done. Sometimes teams just kind of pack up and then go have some fun in Las Vegas Sure. But most of the time people stick around. People like watching fights. Uh, People want to watch the finals.
2: Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. Um, All right. So I got a a couple of random questions for you. Uh, This is a really good one. This is from Thomas Carroll. He writes, who designed the team jackets this year? They look so good.
4: Um, So our new logo and and also the robot look was designed by my friend Cynthia Liu. She was on the first overhaul team with me and was on overhaul for a few years after. Um, And she had designed some of the stuff for overhaul. Oh, cool. Initially. Um, So she's, um, you know, my resident artist friend. She did some art for an indie video game for a few years. So I kind of called her up. Alex and I were looking for a new, fresh rebranding of Valkyrie. And we're like, here are some themes that we like um you know go wild keep with the color scheme and that's what she came up
2: with um it looks fantastic she's uh phenomenally talented and you know overhaul is a notoriously aesthetic bot so that's a cool get for your team that's awesome um all right ian miller who runs quicksand 2 wants to know were there any rejected names for valkyrie's various blades you guys have the coolest names for your blades were there any names that you didn't go with
4: Um, not that I could think of. I'm not sure what they had in the past, but this year for Artemis, I think Alex had suggested Artemis. We kind of immediately loved the name. Um, With Caroline, we did make a new blade this year called Salty Caroline, because after Sweet Caroline, they had a Sour Caroline. And, you know, it was initially the blade that we thought we would have to use to Be able to run the fork and still make weight, Um, so it was a little bit lighter. And you know, it was our message of we're salty at the fact that we also have to play the ground game now as a horizontal.
2: Yes, I love that. That's really funny. (laughs) Yeah, Um,
4: but it turned out we didn't actually need the weight. We were able to run Sweet Caroline, um, which was a little bit thicker. And after almost bending Sweet Caroline, we. Uh,
2: you didn't want to go thinner. We didn't want to go yeah, thinner. Yeah, <laughs> No, that would, that sounds scary. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, all right. So here's an Alex pick question. He runs Zane at NHRL. Um, he says, what are some last airbender slash Korra names that you have in the chamber? Um, and what bot types would they go with?
4: So there's. I, I didn't want to release this idea out there into the wild yet, but at least you heard it here first. Um, David and I had talked about building a uh, multi-bot, and then it would be called by cabbages. And then one would be the red cabbage and one would be the white cabbage. Um, and so then when you announcers have to talk about it, you just have to talk about the cabbages going around the, the arena. And we thought that would be hilarious.
2: I love how many people name their bots just to embarrass them as <laughs> announcers. It's like one of my favorite things that happens. I've literally been practicing Helicobopto Chopper for the last week because they're in this next, uh, this upcoming tournament. So, um, all right. So, if you can make a new rule for BattleBots specifically to improve Horizontals' chances, what would it be? Uh, this is a question that we got from Brandon Bennett Young and Darren Gladstone.
4: I don't, well, this doesn't really improve especially Undercutters' lives, but it is something that I have talked to the Bot whisper about, how we think it would be so cool if BattleBots added terrain. It would completely change the game, and you can no longer play the ground game the same way. So we think that would be so cool and so new, but unfortunately it means everybody has to redesign their robots.
2: That's awesome. Um yeah i i got a question from mark rennie who's one half of the artist duo eel monkey arts they're the makers of the adorable brett line of plushies um so they say lucy will you please sign our banner at norwalk if not may i have um may i have to name or may have to name our first robot cold bean sludge and nobody wants that (laughs) i love that
4: okay um find me at norwalk and i absolutely will sign the banner but i am i'm also okay if you name a robot after cold bean sludge i think that'd be hilarious
2: yeah i want to see that fight between <laughs> hot leaf juice and cold bean sludge like that's that that needs to be a fight that happens like this season make it happen guys yeah. um,
4: what kind of robot would cold bean sludge be
2: obviously it would have to be a overcutter
4: it's true. I
2: like that. <laughs> <laughs> Two wheel drive overcutter, obviously. Mm, um, yes. So here's a good one. He says, also, could you give us one? Oh, my God, Kyle for friend Luke.
4: Oh, my God, Kyle.
2: <laughs> yes. Thank you so much. <gasps> Lucy, uh, thank you so much for talking with us today. We are so looking forward to seeing you this weekend at NHRL. Um, I hope there are at least, you know, four or five more Golden Dumpsters in your future there. And um, yeah, we're looking forward to seeing you uh, maybe pop up on an alternate competition at BattleBots later on this year.
4: Yeah, Um, I look forward to the hopefully four to five Golden Dumpsters in the future as well. (laughs) (laughs) Fingers crossed.
0: After the break, we'll return with this week's installment of Robots Around the World.
1: Welcome back from the break. Time for robots around the world. This week we're headed to the beach, finally, where researchers have designed a robot that moves like a seal flopping itself around on land. I immediately think of uh, one of Chris's aunts uh, (laughs) with that story. (laughs) Wow. It's a real story. It's not just Wow, today. Lindsay. But now, but now she doesn't need it. Now we can have a robot do it for her. Seals, uh, you may know, are incredibly graceful swimmers. And basically the opposite: as soon as they get out of the water, blobbing around on the beach. Yeah, Mary. and when
0: you give them two Danishes after they're on a one-day excursion from their cruise ship, yeah, they're not that good on land. <laughs>
1: A group of researchers in Chicago have built a robot that moves in a similar way, which they say allows it to move across terrain that would otherwise hinder wheeled robots. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> I, I don't understand this robot. There is a video attached. Uh, I have not watched it. Should I watch it, Luke?
3: Lindsay. Um- Yes. Yes, you should. It's, uh, it is, uh, it it is unnerving how this, uh, how this robot moves. Um, it just kind of moves chaotically. And, uh, the idea is like, oh, you know, in the sand and the rocks over rubble, you know, you kind of scale this thing up to a humanoid size and, uh, it can, it can move over anything, you know,
0: this thing's a real struggle bus. I I think that's,
3: it's the point. That's the point. You know, like if you're trying to climb up on a collapsed structure or something, you can't, you can't wheel yourself up there. You've got to flop yourself up there. You know?
1: I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. I was envisioning a robot that also looked like a seal, but what I'm being presented with, there's like no other way to say what it looks like. and. It lo- It looks. The scientific word is phallic.
3: Oh, it's, wow, Lindsay. This is a family. I was. I was, I was thinking like maybe word. alien starfish, but I guess we're gonna go with phallic. It's.
1: Lindsay. It's. Um. I mean, I'm not wrong.
3: I I didn't see that, but you know, <laughs> Lindsay, it's you cause, do, You do. You. <laughs>
1: it's, it's okay.
3: because i I'm, i pray before going to bed every night you know i'm re-watching like, re- it now
2: and yeah. uh you know at first watching i didn't have that feeling but now Lindsay, that's all i see so thanks for that um
1: yeah i i don't like this robot i don't like this video uh <laughs> reporting it for uh making me uncomfortable <laughs> uh,
0: i don't know wow it's like hmm it's not as much phallic as, as, it is, as it is like four phalli trying to like, uh, you know, get to the surface so they don't drown.
2: You should definitely <laughs> watch this video, guys. It's uh, it's going to disturb you, delight you, entice you. I'm not sure, but you'll have feelings about it.
0: Potentially excite you.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Listen, they, the researcher said it looked like a seal. I could see it, you know, like it's got a little tail. It's got two little arms and it's got, you know. A big, I can long see head.
2: I can see how it was uh it was the motion was uh was modeled after a seal. I do not see how the shape of the robot was modeled after a seal.
0: Why yeah. does why does the robot play 70s funkadelic music though? <laughs> <laughs> it's just so like why? <laughs> Yeah. It's
3: got it's got little bell bottoms on that, that one
2: <laughs> have you noticed that glass of Covassier over there in the corner. It's very strange. Yeah. <laughs>
3: it's got the
0: disco ball on uh on its head, you know? You can stay out Love in the them. barn but keep your hands off my daughter. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Wow. this is a serious robot okay all right we we could see so uh we could see uh you know search and rescue robots just flopping themselves all around and you're gonna be so happy when this nine foot long seal-like <laughs> robot sticks its head I, into like, uh you know
0: okay i get it yeah scale this thing up so it can drag my gigantic body through whatever <laughs> spelunking activity i've been working on but now now, try to convince me that this thing's flailing is not going to absolutely <laughs> eviscerate me. <laughs> what is the point of this
3: thing? It'll break every bone in your body as you're hanging on for dear life, Chris.
1: It'd be cool if like once it realizes that it's like hooked onto its, uh, you know, its uh, target, it like inflates into a giant raft And then it just uses its awkward body to swim the raft back to shore.
0: Interesting. Wow. You should, you should, you know, uh, email these phallus scientists.
1: I want nothing to do with (laughs) this alien. (laughs) I mean, other people on the internet are into that. Alien phallus.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Well, I
1: I hope that all podcast. of the parents
0: have turned off this podcast about 10 minutes ago and I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's it's
1: um, scientific.
0: We use scientific terminology.
3: Um I, I I I'll just say uh you know every single time that uh, that I write one of these robots around the world, um I I always think to myself, could this be a combat robot? You know? And I feel like for this one it could be, you know? Just yeah. flapping that I, huge I, head around, you know? I don't
2: think they'd get approved. I just, uh, I think that, uh, you know, even if BattleBots approves them, Discovery's gonna say, no thanks.
1: <laughs> it's just one big blur bar.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and, most, most combat robotics leagues have, uh, no liquids policy, and this thing is clearly perspiring.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
3: I'm sorry.
0: I'm so sorry.
1: Ooh. Oh, gosh.
0: Um, I think that this is probably a good time to call it. And that's about it for us today. We want to thank Nicole for making it through this last segment, especially. But as always, thank you for editing this week's episode. We love you, Nicole. And we'll be back in your feed next week with another mystery guest. We'll see you then, folks. Bye-bye.
1: Bye.
0: Bye-bye, everybody.